Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Monday, March 27th. What's What is a daily podcast that explores news, culture, and other issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from the WFUV newsroom. I'm Jay Doherty. And I'm David Escobar. And here are today's headlines. A proposed overhaul to Israel's judicial system ignited protests in the nation's streets earlier today. Protesters claim that a package of bills supported by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu will give the Israeli parliament too much power over the country's Supreme Court. Under the proposals, the government would have control over the appointment of judges, and parliament would gain the power to override Supreme Court decisions. Opponents say the plan threatens Israeli democracy. Netanyahu and his supporters argue that the Supreme Court has become an elitist group, not representative of the Israeli people. His administration argues the Supreme Court has overstepped its role, getting into issues it should not rule on. And the protests aren't just limited to Israel. The Consul General to Israel in New York, Asaf Samir, stepped down from his post in protest today, citing his moral obligation to promote democracy and freedom in the world. New York City Council members held a hearing this afternoon about a number of bills that promote transparency in policing. One of the bills on the table would require the NYPD to share all body cam footage with specific departments within five days of the recording. Another proposed bill would require the police department to make monthly reports of police misconduct allegations and report instances when people do not consent to be searched. During the council's hearing, a rally was held outside City Hall to protest the recent police shooting of a man in the Bronx. Protesters hope to see more accountability and transparency in monitoring police conduct. Residents across the five boroughs will soon be able to access curbside composting. That's right, Jay. Across the East River, New York City's curbside composting program begins today in Queens. The program is part of Mayor Adams' longtime mission to eliminate the city's most notorious inhabitants. Everyone that knows me, they know one thing. I hate rats. The mayor says reducing food waste in trash bags will help curb rat populations and improve the appearance of city streets. The program will drastically expand the city's composting program, which historically has been underfunded. According to the Sanitation Department, New York generates 8 million pounds of organic waste every day. Curbside composting is slated to reach Brooklyn by October, and all five boroughs will have access to green waste bins by the end of 2024. As New York's weather finally starts to warm up, the folks at Coney Island are wasting no time. Starting this Friday, Luna Park will officially open to the public, and there will be a couple new attractions for visitors. Tony's Express and Leite's Treasure will make their debut this summer, offering panoramic views of the shoreline. And after this Friday, Luna Park will be open every weekend through Memorial Day. From then on, visitors can come daily until the end of the season. Out west, Adele is extending her Las Vegas residency at Caesars Palace. The British singer made the surprise announcement during what would have been her final performance on Saturday night. Playing to 4,000 people for 34 nights is not enough, and I know that. I know it's not enough, so I am coming back. (laughs) Adele also says her team plans to film the upcoming dates so they can release a film of her concert for anyone who wants to see the show. The extended run of Weekends with Adele will go from June 16th to November 4th. Today is American singer, songwriter, and entrepreneur Mariah Carey's birthday. Carrie is the first and only artist to have five singles reach number one on the U.S. Billboard charts. The self-proclaimed Queen of Christmas has an arsenal of hits, including Fantasy, Obsessed, and of course, All I Want for Christmas is You.
She's also the third best-selling female artist in the United States, with 64 million total albums sold. The final four of Men's March Madness is all set. For many avid college basketball fans, UConn is a familiar face. But the three other teams in the final bracket? Not so much. The fifth-seeded University of Miami and San Diego State, as well as the ninth-seeded Florida Atlantic University, are all making their Final Four debuts. It's also the first time since 2011 that the Final Four won't feature a number one seed. When the teams travel to Houston next week to play for the national title, it will also mark the first time since 1970 that three first-timers all showed up in the same year. On Saturday afternoon, San Diego State will play FAU, and UConn will face off against Miami, and the remaining two will face off later in April to see who gets to cut down the nets. Rikers Island has been home to one of New York's most notorious prisons for nearly a century. So for this month's installment of Fordham Conversations, I sat down with Professor Brandon Lamson about his new book, Caged, which shares a teacher's perspective from inside Rikers. There's a lot of humanity in Rikers. There's a lot of beauty in the lives that are being lived there. And there's tremendous violence and suffering that doesn't need to be perpetrated. That was Brandon Lamson, an assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin, who just released his new memoir, Caged. In the book, Professor Lamson discusses his experience teaching English to incarcerated New Yorkers at Rikers Island in the late 1990s as part of the court-mandated Horizon program. And when we sat down earlier this month, Professor Lamson told me that teaching people inside Rikers taught him a lot about the world both inside and outside of a prison cell. I think one thing that really struck me was uh, that most of my students were incarcerated for drug charges. And so their education had been interrupted. Because the school was voluntary, they chose to come down to school. They were really hungry to take advantage of that opportunity. Because they, many of them, you know, were in this strange situation where they hadn't been sentenced yet. There was a young man who was, well, he told me in class one day that he was going to take my wallet. He was going to steal my wallet. I said, you know, of course, no, I don't think that's going to happen. And um, I was really aware, you know, my wallet was in the front pocket of my jeans. And I was really aware of where the student was throughout the class period. The class was about to end. And I felt like, okay, I obviously won this round in some way. And then he came up to me and he handed me my wallet. And, and he later told me that he grew up uh, basically on the streets of New York and had to learn how to pick pockets in order to survive. But, you know, that, that's just illustrative of, you know, this, this notion that the students also were, you know, very grounded in their reality outside of Rikers. You know, they hadn't acclimated yet to, to being incarcerated in many cases. I think another interesting thing that you talk about is this idea of kind of how education can be a force for control, especially within a place like Rikers. I mean, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Like how this idea of education is something that can be used for control. I just, I'm curious about your thoughts. I came into that environment with a very open mind and with no experience previously in being in prison or in working in prison. I was very idealistic, but I was always aware that it was bounded by the institutional structures of Rikers and that the guards were very much in charge. When you get to Rikers and you're a teacher, like, I'm curious, how did these men, how did these incarcerated men teach you? What did they teach you about 
I mean, maybe being a prisoner, but also being a better human. They showed me, first of all, I was always very cognizant and very aware that I was not a prisoner, that I was a civilian coming in and that I had a lot of privilege. I was there because they were um, allowing and inviting me to be in that space with them and to work with them. And uh, what really um, encouraged me when I was writing this book to persevere was this idea that I was writing it as a gift to the students and to, you know, by extension, all the young people who are incarcerated um, and trying to bring that um, to light, this need to look at people in that position differently. What do you hope people take away from Rikers, like the situation at Rikers from this book, but then also your life? Yeah, that's something I was really aware of when I was putting the book together was that I wanted to show this idea of cages. And so I really wanted to talk about the ways in which the social and political cages touch against or press against the psychological and emotional cages and how they're interconnected. What I would hope readers would take about Rikers is that um, there's a lot of humanity in Rikers. There's a lot of beauty in the lives that are being lived there. And there's tremendous violence and suffering that doesn't need to be perpetrated. That was my co-host David Escobar talking with Professor Brandon Lamson about his new book, Caged. Fordham Conversations enlist the help of the university community to tell stories about our world. And that's our show for today. I'm Jay Doherty. And I'm David Escobar. Check back with us tomorrow around 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.